the coaches always know more than the fans? Maybe, but we're going to talk about that and a lot more this week on Iceman and Coach. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. As always, this is the Iceman, Matt Freights, and that is the coach, Brad Powell, with a new look over there. How you doing, buddy? Iceman, doing great, doing great. Uh, yeah, got a new toy here thanks to uh, some, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, your skills of seeking out uh, these fine microphones on the internet. So uh, definitely thank you for the assist on that for sure um i love it man uh, we've, we've spent the last what 25 minutes kind of working through some of the finer points but we feel pretty good about it i think we'll keep tweaking it a little bit but i'm really excited to have it and um it's been again as always we talk about family stuff a little bit been a busy busy week again busy evening we so there's a, a pumpkin patch i guess you want to call it that um, it's probably the most popular one in the area. I went there when I was a kid and I actually live closer to it now than I ever have, except for the bridge in town that crosses the river, um, has been closed since March. And so we've got to go up to the next bridge and, or, I mean, it's kind of an ordeal, but I prefer to go on a weeknight because if you go on the weekend, there are a million people there and it's just chaos. So we choose a weeknight, pull up, it looks promising. You know, they have a big, they call it like the back 40 or something. You know, it's just this big open play area. They've got, you know, combines. They've turned into like jungle gyms with slides and all kinds of fun things, like a maze made out of hay bales and tractors and whatnot. So the kids are running, having a good time. And then I, I realized I mean, there's a lot of people like kind of rolling in here for a random Tuesday night. I go, granted, the weather's beautiful today, but I found out that the primary school district in Peoria District 150, it was District 150 night at Tanner's Orchard. And so, yeah, there were a lot of people. I assume you're not part of District 150? No, no, we are not part of District 150 at all. We, uh, th There could not be more, and I'm just saying this from just purely factual, there could not be more of a contrast between the school district that I live in and District 150. I mean, and it just, it covers the entirety of Peoria. It's like, like where I grew up in East Peoria, there was an element elementary district district and the high school was like its own district. And there were two like small outlier communities that had their own districts that fed into the high school. Well, Peoria, every public school in the city of Peoria from, from grade school through high school is all part of the school district. It's gigantic. So, I mean, it covers the entire city. So it is very diverse in every possible way, but yeah, there were just a lot of people. I mean, there wasn't anything, crazy about it other than it was just a lot of people I wasn't expecting that necessarily and I'm like the kind of guy always I try to avoid crowds generally as much as possible especially if if I'm by myself or like me and my dad if I'm with another adult I can handle it but like the second that I have my kids involved or something like that it just becomes like it's just stressful and uh so when possible I try to avoid it I don't want to hear it, man. I took my son to a casino. All right. 
I don't want to hear it. This hey, it just sounds like a great weekend, with, you know, with the guys, you know, a guys weekend. It's funny those like family things, like a pumpkin patch or insert anything, right? Or here's a good example: going to cut your own tree down. These are all the types of things that are always activities as a family that sound great in practice, much like communism or something. It sounds great <laughs> in practice, but then once you go to execute the plan, it depends on the situation. But many times, I would hypothesize eight and a half out of 10 times, something catastrophic goes wrong and the family trip on the way back from whatever the activity was ends up being just filled with tension, filled with anger, and the kids are unhappy, the parents are unhappy, and overall, you question your entire existence as human beings. Dude, you could not be more accurate. That might be the most accurate thing you've said in the history of this podcast. Um, it it was that, man. Like, when it was time to go, it was just this mess. And, like, I'm dragging our three-year-old son practically, like, through this gravel parking lot, screaming. People, you know, probably think that I'm trying to abduct him. And then we get in to the van, and we're headed out. And, like, we're trying, like, we wanted to grab something for dinner. But, there, I mean, just where we were, where we were going to be, there weren't a lot of choices. So it's like for a minute, my wife and I are trying to hash that, hash that out. Which, by the way, is the biggest marital discourse that you all have. Like everybody has. What do you want for dinner? It's the ultimate question. No married couple has been able to solve it. No wife can ever have an answer to it. No husband ever has the right situation. That is the question that will never be answered. It is an existential problem of marriage. What do you want to eat? Something so simple. And fortunately, in this case, we were pretty much, neither of us really cared what it was. We just wanted to get something sorted out. Of course, we got like a, some goodies while we were there. And, you know, they have they have a thing there where you can get like a free sample of apple cider. Uh, the kids, you know, they thought it was liquid gold, you know. And so, of course, they have these little pumpkins with, you know, you can buy. It's like a pumpkin cup with apple cider in it for like $10 or something stupid. And so they want those immediately once we get in the car and our son can't like physically because like the stem you flip it open and he can't physically do it himself but he keeps closing it like when my wife opens it for him and then he gets mad because he can't open it well then he's trying to just unscrew the lid right off i mean it was just and so we took it away from him and he's literally screaming like he's on fire and our daughter is screaming because he's screaming she's screaming that he's hurting her ears she's covering her ears and like for a good solid Five to ten minutes, my wife and I both, as we drove, just sat silent staring at the window while, while all hell was breaking loose <laughs> in the back seat. This is the life, man. This is what we all signed up for. And we know it. We know it at the end of the day that that's what it's going to be like. But sometimes those family things, man, I'm telling you, like family anything, family insert whatever the activity is, sometimes it just, it's more hassle than it's worth because there's just so many factors. Again, it, it depends on time of day. It depends on the kids. It depends on the activity. It depends on the crowd. Like there's so many things that go into it. And there's all these activities. Like I, as a parent, when it comes to traditions, which you and I are big traditions people, is I always err on the side of just because I think this is awesome, who are the other people involved? Like I would love to one time go out and cut down my own Christmas tree. But I also know that my wife would hate the cold and my three-year-old wouldn't give a crap. 
So we're not going to do that until one of the two of them gives a crap. And then maybe it'll just be happily me and James and that'll be it. And so it's understanding your surroundings, understanding your situation. But it sounds like to me that you had what many of these coaches are going through on the sideline, just staring blankly into the abyss. Caleb Williams staring blankly into the abyss after another loss. I get you. I've been there. And I think sometimes less is more. Yeah. All right. All in all in the name of memories. Right. Um, it you hit the nail on the head. It, it never goes the way that you expect it to. And again, like you mentioned, same with these coaches, right? They put together these great game plans that are based in like reality and data and all this stuff. It, it makes sense on paper, right? It sounds great. It looks great. You're confident in it. And you go out there and all hell breaks loose. That happens all the time. I mean, that happens even in on the winning side, you know, shit starts going haywire. And that might be what separates the great ones from the not so great ones is the people that can navigate that when the wheels start falling off a little bit, who can keep it on the track. Yes. And history shows that we remember the better results anyway. So like there are times where we will remember the times that broke down because inevitably, of course, there's usually a funny story. But what's key is that you and your wife are on the same page in the misery, because if one of you is thinking this is fine and the other one is thinking this is awful, then you now have like a triangle of terror that's happening. So it sounds like blankly staring into the abyss, both of you just it is what it is. Sometimes it's what you do. Sometimes your kid is having a meltdown and you just kind of let it happen. I have let my nephew have a meltdown in the middle of a soccer field because he didn't want to play soccer. All the parents are looking at us and he's just writhing, screaming, and we're like, he'll be fine whenever he gets over it. Sometimes you just can't do anything about it, but hopefully you got the one picture that you can post to social media so people think that you have your shit together. See, we're not, like, we get, we take pictures here and there and stuff, but, like, we're definitely not uh, the type to go crazy about it, I guess. Like, I don't think we took, my wife might have took one picture, maybe. I think that was it, you know. I, I'm sure my wife would prefer, like, would love to go out and get, family fall photos taken and stuff like that. I, I'm kind of a, a curmudgeon when it comes to those things. Not cheap. But no, it's not cheap. And and I'm just like, why do we need it? I don't know. Everybody does it. So, I mean, I get that it's, there's, you know, it's a, it's a profession all on its own. So I, I don't know. I just, I, 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 there's other ways I would prefer to spend my time. But, and, and the difference between my wife and I in a lot of these situations like today is like, I usually go into all these situations, whether it's this cutting down the Christmas tree, whatever, like expecting this, uh, this stuff to happen because it's just the way it goes, man. Like, it's just how kids are. It's whatever. And there's times where my wife acts surprised and I'm like, I don't know what you expected to, like, to happen when we did this, but, you know, we just got to roll with it. You do have to roll with it. And speaking of rolling with it, if you have a family horrifying story about going out to do something cliche or traditional or whatever, 703-718-6314 is the number to call or text us those stories. We always want people to share these types of things because we're a family show. Hopefully a lot of people who are family men and women are, are, are watching this or listening to this, so we'd love to hear that we're not the only ones that are going through it. As we're recording today, game seven of the NLCS is on my television right now. Diamondbacks up seven to, or excuse me, three to two in the bottom, gosh, Three to two in the top of the six, and we will keep you posted on that. And actually, a little tease, my stats of the week are baseball-related stats of the week, so that'll be something to look forward nice. to. So last week, you and I 
I think we we upset the gods a little bit because we talked about Bill Belichick and we hypothesized whether maybe we were coming to the end of Bill Belichick's reign. And that video got a little bit of play, but we did get an interesting comment from somebody who I think was a Bailey Zappi homer talking about how Bailey Zappi was, I believe the quote was the best quarterback in the NFL and that Bill Belichick needed to bench Mac Jones for Bailey Zappi because, quote, if of all people, Joe Burrow can make it to the Super Bowl with, I believe he said, uh, was it mediocre talent? Then Bailey Zappi could do it too. You and I obviously thought that was a horrendous take. We laughed and just thought we can't. But I want to ask you, though, is this person seemed very, very confident in their feelings about this. And we've encountered other people like that, too. It happens all the time. Is is there ever a point in time where we, the fans, are more informed than the coaches? No. No. Never? More, more informed? No way. Okay. Um, could we be so. Could we be right when the coach is making a wrong decision? I think that, okay, a lot of the times when, as fans, we look at something and we're like, Something here seems off, like this person is obviously not performing well. Why are they still playing? Something along those lines. There are usually circumstances that we are completely unaware of that are at play. And whether that's ownership or a general manager meddling, uh, like, hey, like, tough shit, but you're going to play this guy. Like, hell or high water, I don't care unless he breaks his leg. Like, you're sending him out there. And uh, if you want your paycheck to keep uh, hitting your bank, uh, you're going to keep you're gonna do what the boss says, right? I think there could be things like that at play. I'm sure that there's maybe situations where a coach is looking to the future and not like for the future of his own franchise at the time, but his own personal future. And because let's say that, uh, okay, Justin Fields, right? Justin Fields is banged up. If Matt Eberflus plays the rookie, which I mean, right now he has to because Fields is hurt. But let's say he made that choice. Let's say he's like, okay, Justin Fields isn't playing well enough. I'm going to play the – I'm sorry, I don't know his name. We're going to put the young guy out there. Oh, the guy who just started this weekend yeah. who was in, like, yeah. Division Four. Yeah. yeah. I, who so, knows his name? But Nobody. my thing is, is if, if you make that – if you as a coach choose to make that change, you better make damn sure that, like, it's going to be a net positive because if it is not, then it's like you've answered the question that people have then. Is it the quarterback or the coaching? Well, now everyone's going to say it's the coaching. You know, once you once you make that change. So if you don't make that change, even if Matt Eberflus is the problem, he could always say, well, I wasn't the problem. The problem was Justin Fields and he's not coachable and blah, 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 blah. I, I think that there are a lot of reasons at play, a lot of intangible things that play into the decision or the decision not being made, I should say. It just seems like a lot of fans think that they know more like this guy having a take that Bailey Zappi is the best quarterback in the NFL. Where does that come from? Because I, I understand that fans are delusional and uninformed, ignorant, maybe even you could use. But to me, having a take like this feels just so out of the realm of possibility of takes that people could have. And it's like, how is it that you feel so confident that you know more than the coach of the New England Patriots who sees the, these guys every single day. Well, and just the argument that college success, or it seems the belief is that college success is going to mean that that's just going to translate to the pros, right? Well, have you ever heard of Ryan Leaf or Johnny Manziel <laughs> or Jamarcus Russell? I mean, we could go on and on and on. 
guys who performed at a really high level in college or, or their teams had success that and it did not translate into the pros. And just the same, we can go find guys who were maybe average at the college level that turn out to be outstanding pros. I mean, Tom Brady, I mean, the guy couldn't even hold down the starting job his entire senior year at Michigan. You know, I mean, he was in a position battle pretty much the entire time he was at Michigan. He's the GOAT right now, right? So I don't think there's, they are not directly connected to each other. And so to make, for that to be the primary point in the argument just seems strange to me. Like I said, it's so bizarre. It almost seemed like this is either trolling or, or satire or something because it's just absurd. Do you think it was satire? Or maybe it was Bailey Zappi on his burner account. Yeah, like Bailey Zappi burner. That'd be wild, man. That that Wouldn't honestly, it? in my opinion, would be the best case scenario. Oh, I know. It would be absolutely amazing. But let me ask you this. Now, when you look at the Atlanta Falcons, and we're sticking with the NFL here, Arthur Smith has been, this is his second year as the coach of the Falcons. And I have been very critical this year. And I think a lot of people who know anything have been critical about his use of the weapons that he has. More specifically, I think, the use of Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts. And of course, on the other side of that, you have MCDC, who the Lions drafted Jameer Gibbs using a very, very high draft pick in the first round to draft a running back. And they're not using him. The lack of usage on some of these players that these teams have spent a lot of capital on is a little bit baffling. And for the Lions, it's okay because they have a lot of players that can substitute there and they're doing it successfully. But the Falcons are leaving so much on the field. And in my opinion, the fans like myself and you who can look at this and say they're making a huge mistake here. I do feel like maybe there is something that we don't know. But my question then becomes, why use such high draft capital to take these guys if there's something that we don't know that is going to force you to not play them? It's just really strange. Now, this past weekend, Bijan didn't play or barely played wasn't on the injury chart, screwed over a whole bunch of fantasy owners, myself included. But it was just weird, right? Like, we didn't know what was going on, and there's no explanation. And I guess they don't owe that to us. But is there ever a point where we, the fans, feel like something doesn't feel right here? And even though the coach is no more, can we be right? Yeah, we could be right. Um, Maybe from a, a talent perspective, you're like, man, you've really invested in this guy. He's really talented. He should be on the field. It could maybe it's a character issue of some kind. I don't know. I don't know these guys personally. I don't know Bijan Robinson and what he's about. But is it a character issue? Uh, who knows? When the hell has that ever mattered in the end? Uh, I know that's what's weird about it, is it typically doesn't matter. And it's not like college where you want to like ease the young guys into it. You know, you want to develop them because you're going to have them for four years. And you know, in the NFL, especially if you've got a lot invested in a player, like you got to strike while the iron's hot, man. Like, your window of what, where you can get whatever you need out of that player is small. I mean, it could be really small. They could hurt themselves in practice one day and never be the same. Especially running back. Right, especially running backs. I mean, if we've seen anything, like we've talked about it on previous shows, how the value of running backs has declined because it has been proven that you don't need that bell cow running back that you turn around and hand the ball to 30, 40 times a game that you can have running backs that sort of are specialists in some way, and you just keep recycling guys through there, and you get a little bit more mileage out of fewer guys. I mean, they maybe they last a little longer, but the thing is, is like you can, they're just not, you don't have to make that major investment because it's, you're, you're making up one running back with three players in, in some cases, and so it's like, well, if one of those guys 
gets injured or whatever, well, we just we get rid of him and bring in another guy that only has to be one third of our running back. That's a brutal way to look at it, but I think that's what we're seeing. It's the way the league is right now. Yeah. But I think the other side of the coin on this is if you are an executive or a coach or a manager, you cannot ever listen to what the fans are saying, right? Because you have to believe that you are somebody who has the knowledge and the power to be able to make these decisions. Is there ever a time where a team or a coach should ever cave to what the fans are saying or wanting? I mean, that's why I'm I'm trying to get at here is for every Bailey Zappy burner account, there are people who have been watching the sport for a long time who are not easily fooled when looking at what is presented to them every single Saturday or Sunday. And I'm trying to get at is, are we ever in a position where fans could be right in wanting something? Or if you're the team, you just can never, ever cave to that kind of pressure. As a as a former coach, I always tend to assume there are things I don't know in these situations, especially when they maybe seem really obvious. I'm like, there's just got to be something that we're not aware of as fans that is, if we were, we'd be like, oh, okay. And so I kind of err on that side most of the time. I would say that organizations should not be pressured by fans in any way, shape, or form. I get that they are your, in a way, they're almost like your shareholders, right? Like you're you're relying on them to show up to games, buy tickets, buy merchandise. That's a big part of uh, what keeps the wheel turning. But I just think that's a dangerous game when you start placating the fans. When you were a coach, did you ever get pressure from parents because high school is that level I feel like where you get the most parents who are in the coach's face about this is what we should do this is what we shouldn't do and I think at that level the pressure to play a kid or not play a kid would I would think be at its highest based off of the other like as the higher you go once you get to like big time college football the coaches are more like CEOs they don't care about what the parents are saying about it but in high school, the parents have that direct access to the coach. Did you ever experience that? Yeah, you always had un- unhappy parents. Uh, but we had a rule that I really enjoyed, and it curbed, didn't curb every issue, but it curbed a lot of issues. And that is when we had the parent meeting at the beginning of the year, it was if your, if your son has a problem with playing time and you want to have a conversation about it, we all we ask is that your son has already attempted to have a conversation about it you and or your son are not pleased with the results, then when we have a meeting, what's going to be us, your son, and you, nine times out of 10, out 9.9 times out of 10, the kid knows why he's not playing. They pra- they're at practice every day. They go up against the guys that are playing. They know, they know why they're not playing. And we would film pretty much every practice. So it's like we could sit down and turn the film on and just say, like, I mean, and you don't even have to be a, a coach to be like, hey, this is poor effort, or hey, he's just getting his tail whipped up and down. <laughs> I mean, and it's pretty glaring. And now it never really got to the point where you had to turn the film on. Um, and I get parents love their kids, man. Like they're going to go to bat for him. I don't fault anybody for that. But when it comes to playing time, a kid usually knows why he's not playing. And, and I'm all about listening to parents if they want to talk about like where their kids at mentally. Uh, they're feeling kind of down because of the playing time issue. Is there anything they can do to put themselves in a position to get on the field more? Something like that. The stuff that just kind of like goes in one ear and out the other for me was always when they're like, you should be running these plays and this offense. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and because they always have, like I told you, coach some really bad football teams. 
Um, but guess what? And I coached a couple pretty good football teams. You know what the difference was? The good ones had good kids, talented kids, a lot of talented kids, and the bad ones didn't. <laughs> and unfortunately, their parents didn't know they weren't talented. Or didn't want to believe it. Right. And and that's just, like it's like they just don't realize that, like, I understand, like, that when your son played, you know, 12-year-old football, like, that he was the fastest guy on the field or whatever. Like, but guess what? Like, over the last six years, these guys that he's playing against have put effort in in the weight room, and they are now faster and stronger than your son. And your son hasn't done anything because he thought he was the the big kid on the block, you know, back in the day. And, and like, and we had that happen at our place a ton. And with the poor teams that we had, you know, I remember being like, listen, if, believe me, if we thought that your son could help us win football games, like, he would be on the field. I promise you. Like, <laughs> when it comes to, like, the way you feel your kids being treated, stuff like that, I think that you give the parent you all ears, whatever. You know, you're there to listen to whatever they have to say because that is that is important when it comes to scheme and, and even playing time. I said, you, I'll listen to playing time. Well, like scheme especially, or like you should be doing this, or this person should be playing this position. I'm just, okay, I'll take that into consideration. Yeah, the scheme stuff, especially when you're watching like the NFL, those schemes, those offensive packages are so complicated compared to what they are in high school. And I get it, they're much the same formation. They're working off the same base of plays. Like that's what football has always been, but we don't know. And I would like to think, that somebody as talented as Bailey Zappi, apparently, if he was that talented, he would have beat out Mac Jones one of these years. And the thing that's made it complicated, of course, is that Bill Belichick has subbed him in a few times. And when Mac was hurt, and he did have some flashes of being good, but it wasn't sustainable. It did not sustain. And Bill Belichick is somebody who has made the tough decision. When he made the decision to stick with Brady when Bledsoe was coming back, Bledsoe didn't like it, but... The, the team liked it, the team needed it, and ultimately we find out 23 years later that was the right call. Didn't matter what the fans thought, didn't matter what the media thought, but I just noticed that a lot of people are so firm in their belief about however they feel about something. It doesn't have to be a player who should play. It's amazing to me how many people are keyboard warriors and feel like I know more than the people who are paid to do this. Bill Belichick just signed a very lucrative extension, which made our conversation last week completely irrelevant. Right? No, you're you're not joking there. I think that um, the, the true sign, I think the true sign of intelligence in a person is not what you know, but it's knowing what you don't know. Being aware of the things that you don't know and having that self-awareness to understand that like these people who are doing these jobs that are making millions and millions of dollars they probably have a better understanding and, and more in-depth knowledge that they've developed over decades in some cases and maybe defer to them, defer to the professionals. But you see people that want to argue with doctors and everything else, you know, so there's people that think the earth's flat, you know, I mean, so I, I don't know. It's not. <laughs> oh, here we go. No. So I don't know. It's, it's entertaining in some ways. It's, terrifying in some ways i always tell my dad well because we read different you know notre dame has like a message board and bradley has one and we kind of keep tabs on it we don't interact much just kind of there's good information on there sometimes but just the stuff that people say is insane you know and i always i've said say to my dad i go fan is short for fanatic you have to remember that like 
you know, that these message boards exist for that reason, for those people to have an outlet to give their opinions and they do it. And I can't even really follow the message board. Like my dad will follow it at times during the game, like live. There'll be like a game chat that's just constantly going on. And it's like, you know, from one play to the next, like fire this coach, this bench, this guy. I mean, just, I mean, it's Notre Dame fans. Like anytime, like the opponent starts moving the ball down the field, like they are hiring a moving company to go to Al Golden's house. Like they want Al Golden fired so bad. They dislike that man so much. And it's like, guys, like you have to look like this is one of the better defenses in the country. Like you can't deny that. Just look at in scoring defense. They are outstanding. Um, you know, but you just can't make some people happy. No, you cannot. And speaking of people who have a hard time making anybody happy, let's talk about Deshaun Watson for a second. But believe it or not, it's a football thing and not an extracurricular activity. But he's obviously the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. He's a very highly paid quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. And all of his money is guaranteed. So he is set for the perpetuity of his contract. He's had an interesting year because he's been hurt. Last year at the tail end of coming in, he didn't look all that great. So a lot of people thought, okay, off season, going to get some playing time. He's going to look a lot better. And he's looked okay. The Browns are 4-2, and two, but he hasn't played a lot. And this past weekend, I believe they played the Colts, did they not? Yeah. And so he goes out of the game. I believe they had him in the concussion protocol. He clears the concussion protocol, and they don't put him back in. They leave P.J. Walker, who I believe was an XFL standout this last year, and they leave him in, and it is what it is. But a lot of questions are coming up about why would you leave Deshaun Watson out? And I'm here to present a conspiracy theory. I know you're a big fan of these conspiracy theories, but is it possible, is it possible that Deshaun Watson knows he doesn't have it the way that he used to have it? And he's already gotten his bag and he's just trying to basically make sure that he stays out of trouble and out of the spotlight as much as possible. And he's phoning it in because he knows he has his money. It's certainly possible. Um, There's no denying that. I would think, I mean, having his money, you think, would almost like make, hey, let's just go out there and let it fly a little bit. You know, who cares? Obviously, that hasn't been the case. Maybe he is just trying to avoid the criticism, but I don't think this is the best move because he's going to get criticized for this too, right? Because isn't there there's speculation that he himself, like, just said he wasn't going back in. Like, he ruled himself out medically, which is yes. interesting. <laughs> and so, which I guess, like, you don't see that very often. If anything, players are us- usually trying to go against the advice of, the, the healthcare staff to get, get back in a game where in this case, I mean, ultimately if a person doesn't feel like they are healthy enough to compete, they shouldn't. But I don't think that anyone really believes that was the case. It was more of a, a cop out, I guess. It doesn't seem like the situation, Anthony Richardson, who's now out for the year having shoulder surgery, but he self-reported himself to the concussion protocol earlier this year, which is something you don't see very often. It, this was not reported as that. And I feel like it would have been. I feel like the reporting would be pretty fair to him if he had said, look, I still don't feel right, so I'm not going out there. He was jumping up and down on the sidelines. He was cheering on the team. But if he's that well, like it's just really odd to kind of put these pieces together because the Browns at 4-2, and two, technically they're still in it. I think they're right at smack in the middle of the divisional race. I mean, they have one of the best defenses in the league. Miles Garrett is unstoppable as a pass rusher. And it's just odd. Like They're not going to win anything with P.J. Walker the entire season. 
this is a situation where clearly we don't know more than whatever the coaches know, and we don't know what happened on the sidelines. I haven't seen much about it, but it just struck me as very, very odd to have such a high-priced quarterback, and if he intentionally said, I'm not going out there, and it had nothing to do with his health, then there's a lot of questions that need to come out of it, and I won't lie to you. The Browns are getting everything they deserve, if that's the case. Oh, absolutely. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that if your theory or my theory that I heard, whatever, if either one of those is remotely true and he really does try to keep himself off the field as much as possible throughout the rest of the season, does that or how I think it does, how much does that hurt future quarterbacks in these contract negotiations for these big long term deals? I don't know if it hurts the future because Deshaun Watson brings with him something that almost every other quarterback does not bring into it. So he got all of that money with all of the baggage that came with him. So I think that signing looks a lot different because of all of that. But every single quarterback that's coming up doesn't have that. So you're negotiating in good faith based off of what has happened on the football field. What he's doing now, and we don't know anything about it, and somebody's going to listen to this and say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But we don't. We don't know exactly what happened on the sideline. We don't know what's going on in his head. We have not talked to Kevin Stefanski about what took place in the sideline. But if this is a move for him to keep himself out of harm's way because he has gotten his bag, it is certainly going to hurt any free agent, not just quarterbacks. I mean, Albert Hainsworth, a lot of people wanted to make sure that when they sign a guy, that they're signing him for the right reasons. Because Albert Hainsworth, was just looking to get his bag and go home. And I think there has been more emphasis put on making sure that these guys are in the right headspace, but it's not a guarantee. But the Browns didn't do any homework on this because they took this guy with all this baggage. He's been out of the league for two years by the time he actually started playing for them, and they're getting everything they deserve. So I don't think it's going to affect future quarterbacks because I, I don't see any quarterback that's coming up on the market doing something like this at all. Right. It's definitely the exception. I, I Do you think, would, was anybody else ready to write that check if the Browns didn't? Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe not quite that check, but you cannot tell me that some team that's thirsty to be relevant, thirsty to win a Super Bowl, isn't signing up for that. The Browns, I think, just happened to be the most egregious because they signed him fully guaranteed, and there wasn't even really like a negotiating period. It just seemed very odd how forward they were based off the fact that they had, at the time, they had Baker on their roster. So it's just a very odd move, in my opinion. And it seemed like the Browns jumped so much more quickly. But yet an interesting fact, though, is, remember, nobody jumped to get Lamar Jackson. Isn't that funny? That is, you're right, and that is funny. And Lamar, I mean, he Lamar is a unique player in the way that he plays the game. Um, I think that a lot of the hesitation towards him is the same hesitation that happens with any dual threat quarterback. I think it's just purely the injury thing that scares a lot of people. Look at what he's doing now, man. Like the Ravens are quietly sneaking up there in the, in the AFC, like as a legit contender. MCDC would disagree with you about the sneaking up there. Cause uh, nothing about what the Ravens did to the Lions this weekend snuck up. I believe you said easy lions plus three or whatever you said. Lions. Did plus I, three. I, yes. I, we both took the lions on last week and we'll get to that in a minute, but I just thought that was interesting and it's a little bit different, but still kind of in the same vein as all the other stuff we talked about with when, when fans want guys benched or 
fans think that one guy is better than the other. But that situation was a little bit weirder than Deshaun, than Bijan Robinson because we had no idea what was going on with Bijan at all. And in this case, everything said he was cleared. And that's, I think, what makes it look weird is the media and our news outlets are reporting on these things mid-game. So all the fans know he's ready to go. And all they see is him sitting on the sideline. And so our reaction is, well, what the hell? And I think that that's a fair reaction. I'm just waiting to see what the aftermath is going forward. Because if it's breaking down already, he has barely been there. Like, he is there for a cup of coffee. And if it's already breaking down, if you want to talk about character issues, that is right there. Like, right there is a red flag. If you take you take all the morals off the table and you look at Deshaun Watson and his behavior or his quote-unquote accomplishments over the last couple of years, like, do you think there's someone sitting back like, man, this guy has, you know, basically got off scot-free from getting happy endings across the country. Uh, he's just allegedly. cashed in. Yeah, allegedly. Uh, just, you know, cashed in on a big long-term deal, guaranteed, is going to get away with basically, and this is one game, so we're sort of hyperbole, I guess, but going to get away without playing another game, you know, if he really wants to. It's like, this guy's played everybody. You know what I mean? He could. That This is why I thought that the Browns' business decision was a terrible decision. Now, it did kind of alter the quarterback market a little bit, although teams refused to give anything above that. Because remember, Lamar Jackson wanted what Deshaun Watson got, and no team was ever going to give him that. That's kind of why there was that standstill between them. But at the end of the day, though, in my opinion, they negotiated in bad faith and maybe not with Deshaun Watson directly, but as it related to the rest of the league, because they decided to get basically skip over precedent because you know what happens in the NFL. Every time a quarterback gets paid, they say he's the highest paid guy. All it really is, is you're the next person up. It depends on when you hit the market and whatever the last guy got, more than likely you're going to get a shade over what that guy got, and you're going to be the highest paid guy. Right now it's what, Joe Burrow, then it'll be Justin Herbert, or whoever the hell is coming up in this particular instance. But when I look at Deshaun Watson, I think to myself that maybe I missed some things about him before all of the stuff that happened in massage parlors, and maybe it should have been a red flag when he told the Texans he just wasn't going to play. Remember, one year he sat out voluntarily He's already voluntarily sat out a season because he didn't want to play for an organization. So what's to stop him from doing it again? Absolutely nothing. And I do want to know when we as fans, well, the fans are probably over him, but when are we as an NFL just going to say, you know what, if you don't want to be here, go. Just get out. Because there are a bunch of players who would take his spot in a heartbeat for way less money looking at Brock Purdy. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's going to come down to those people those people write the checks, right? They're they're going to be the ones that have to establish that precedent. As yes. fans, if fan, like I said, I don't think that you should placate the fans as an organization. But the only way you can speak as fans is with with your wallet, right? Stop buying tickets. Stop buying merchandise. Uh, you know, and it's going to take a lot of people to do it for a long time, probably before it invokes any change. But that's the only chip you have to play as a fan. I'm long past the idea of thinking that the NFL or any of these sports organizations are going to take any type of a moral stance on anything because that's not their business. Their business is to make money. And the Cleveland Browns want to up the value of their franchise. And by signing a quarterback like that, 
it did it, but they're going to find themselves in purgatory here because P.J. Walker is not the answer. Deshaun Watson clearly isn't the answer. And they have a really, really good team with enough talent to win a Super Bowl, and it doesn't look like they're going to get there. We'll see, though. There's a still, a, what, 10 games left in the season, 11 games left in the season for them, so they will make it. But I want to talk about one more NFL thing before we move on, and it's the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Philadelphia Eagles have kind of been highly scrutinized this year. I think you'd probably agree with me on that for a team that's 6-1. and one. They haven't looked the way that they looked last year. But this past Sunday night, I thought that they looked that way against the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins are a team that you and I find incredibly fun. We think they're one of the most talented in the league. And for all intents and purposes, they kind of dismantled them. But the tush push is what it's called. But that is the talk of the town now in the NFL this season. And it kind of came up last year. I know that if you replace the T with the B and you have the Bush push, that is something that triggers you very highly, but it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. And in the NFL right now, there's a lot of people who want this move banned because they feel that it's illegal based off of, I guess, the way that the NFL rules used to be. I don't know. But I want to ask you, though, do you think it should be banned? Because when I see this play, I see it as they do it better than every other team. And if every other team was that good, they'd all be doing it, too. I don't think it should be banned. I think that if if you're playing within the rules, which they are, you shouldn't go and make a rule against something just because people are having success with it. You know, that they're not exploiting some sort of loophole in the rules or anything like that. Everyone else has the ability to do it too. They just do it better than anyone else. If you don't like it, find a way to stop it, right? Because a lot of other teams try to do it and don't have the success that the Eagles have. I'm all here for the brotherly shove, as they call it. And when you, you have the best center that's probably played the game in, in over a decade, um, and Jason Kelsey, and then, you know, they have, you know, and I think Mike McDaniel gave them a lot of credit because he was asked the same question. And he said, you know, they've, they've taken something and they have refined it and they, they practice it. You know, there's purpose to what they're doing and how they're doing it. They're not just uh, lining up and, trying to run people over. I mean, they're, they're, there's technique to what they're doing. And it's intentional. It yeah. is, you know, but that's, there's, they're doing things in a very certain way with leverage and things like that. There's a lot of technique to it, and they're really good at it. I mean, if you think about it with the success that they have, they could almost come out and just run that play every game and still move the ball. Because there's time, you know, they get two, three yards of pop. You know, if they're getting three yards of pop, uh, they could just tush push all the way down the field if they wanted to, I guess. Um, and because you could say, well, people are going to know what's coming. Well, they already know what's coming, and they still can't stop it. So I, I don't think you should take something away just because you can't stop it. Find a way to stop it. Yeah. I love the way Nick Sirianni put it. Is He said yesterday that we basically start every drive first and nine because we know if we get to fourth and one that we're going to be able to get it. And do you remember how great Tom Brady used to be at the quarterback sneak? He was like 86% successful on a quarterback sneak, and that wasn't even with the brotherly shove or the tush push, whatever you want to call it. That was just Brady knowing how to sneak. But I was talking with Cleve the other day about this, and I said, isn't it amazing how in the last, what, 20 years, maybe even 10 years, the quarterback sneak, which used to be something that was used for those short yarded situations kind of faded out of the game for the most part, because even when Brady was doing it, no other team was doing it. No other team was successful. And now the Eagles do it more as a team. It's a lot less just the quarterback knowing how to get low and how to dive. But we're talking about 
a glorified QB sneak here. Like this is something that was a staple of the game. And somehow I fell asleep and missed that it's now become something that is not part of the game. And people are all of a sudden freaking out over the fact that a team successfully does something that used to happen all the time. No, they are. I mean, it's it's basically just a good old fashioned rugby scrum kind of is what they're doing now. And I like it. The only way I think that you need to address this is if you feel like it is a player safety issue somehow. And that's probably the only thing that will get this, you know, outlawed in some way, shape or form because it's football, man. Like I, I get that it's not pretty and I get that a lot of people can't stop it, but no, you're right. It, it was a part of the game for a long time. I mean, although there was a time like that, that's what offensive football looked like for the whole game, the whole season. You know, the term three yards in a cloud of dust wasn't just made up by somebody. I mean, that's literally the way the game was played. They, they used to not have the forward pass in football once upon a time, if you can believe it or not. So, no, I don't I don't have any problem with it. Keep doing it. More power to them. Uh, you don't like it. Find a way to stop it. Yeah, it's the same. It's like finding ways to win in the margins and with your talent. And that's what the Eagles have done. And why wouldn't they continue to do it? I think if the NFL decides to ban it, because people are complaining that's the wrong reason. And as you said, player safety should be the only reason. But there's no competitive advantage by doing this within the rules of the NFL. Remember the playoff game where Mike Vrabel out Belichick, Belichick with the timeout rule and the substitution stuff? That stuff is within the rules. People didn't like it because it worked and it screwed over the Patriots, but it worked. And this is basically just a play that people are running and they're better at it because they have the personnel to do it. They have the center. They have the quarterback. The offensive line is massive. They just bullied the Dolphins the other night. Like, their offensive line bullied the defensive line of the Dolphins the other night. That's all it comes down to. And anybody who's complaining is just because it's not working out in your favor. And you know what? Tough shit. Yeah, uh, you're 100% right. They looked really good Sunday night, man. And I tell you what, how about the the Kelly Greens, right? The throwbacks. Oh, the, my goodness. The silver pants. I told my dad, I was like, man, I love those uniforms. I wish they wore them all the time. Yes. So this was a great uniform weekend. The Patriots actually went away from the blue and blue at home and they wore silver pants. This is the way that it should happen every single game. That's just my opinion. It looks better. The Kelly Greens were so nice that I thought to myself, this looks like a new design. Like it looks like they just came out with this design and it it just felt perfect for the times. Even though I know it's from a time long gone, I I thought it looked amazing. I thought that all the merchandise that went with it looked amazing. And I was like, I almost need to be an Eagles fan so I can get some of this gear because it looked real good. Actually, I'm going to tell you, and this is a tangent, but I love the way that they have been updating these old uniforms. Like I actually thought the creamsicle for the Bucks looked really good. Yeah, I, I do like that. I feel like the new technology is really able to enhance the older uniforms and makes them look really good. And uh, the Giants wore their throwbacks. You know, the creamsicles were, what, two weeks ago? Yep. It's really nice. Uh, the Colts, it wasn't a throwback, but it was an alternate. They wore the blue on blue with the black helmet with the blue horseshoe, which I, I kind of liked it. You are in the minority with that. I know. I now, because black is like phasing out, right? Because there was a while where like everybody used black as like an alternate color. And so it's been overdone for sure. Uh, so I can see that. Absolutely. And there is kind of a, I don't know, like when it's not one of your colors, it is kind of odd to just have the black helmet uh, and the black is nowhere else in the uniform. So I could see that. Uh, 
that point if someone's trying to argue that. Um, what are some other ones that I've seen here recently? Pat the Patriot. Yeah, the I Red. love that one. That's a classic. And I just wish that they should just make all these the standard uniform. They would get old if you did that, though. Like, I think that right. the reason... Yeah, that, that's why it's cool, because you don't see it all the time. You're right. But but I do think, though, that they should interweave them more than just once a year. Like, if you're going to play in prime time, that's the perfect time. Because there's no harm in a throwback uniform. There's no harm in a good one. Especially if you're you're doing it the right way. Like, one of the things that upset me was when the Rams came out with their new uniforms and they went away with from the royal and yellow, which was already perfect. Why did you need to go away from that? It was perfect. All you need to do is keep it. It's classic. It's timely. It looks great. And they went to something new agey, and it's just like, eh, I can't wait for the Seahawks to wear the old Steve Largent's. They're going to have the silver helmets and everything. That's going to look so good. I think you're right, though, because back in the day, these uniforms look weird because we didn't get the colors right. The the jerseys look just ridiculous. And they really spoke to a time. Like, the creamsicles were so bad because they spoke to the 80s. But now nostalgia's in, of course. But it's the way that it looks streamed down to today's NFL. Right? Today's NFL player looks a lot better. So less is more. You have a smaller uniform, so it's going to look better. And I think that it's just awesome. Now, the NFL didn't allow that for so long. And they finally got rid of the helmet rule, so now we can do this. The only one I will say is that the Broncos, a huge misstep. That D logo needs to be on a blue helmet hard stop. Yeah, I agree. You know, it has to be on a blue helmet. And I don't know, man. Like the the Raiders get away with wearing their throwbacks every week, every year. Yeah, they do. Nonstop. But <laughs> the Raiders are like Alabama. They right. haven't changed their uniform ever. And I, actually, the Colts are that way too. Like that's, I think, why the Colts to me was so egregious because the Colts have a classic uniform. You know what I would love to see? The Bills need to go back to the red helmet. Like, I would absolutely love to see that. I do love the Bills uniforms now, but the red helmet would be awesome to throw back to that. I understand that it it takes them back to a time of misery and pain, but it was a good run, four Super Bowls in a row. Like, no team does that. So there are a lot of, I think, uniform combinations that we could see, and I'm glad the NFL and these teams are stepping into it. I just hope that they don't go too far and start giving us stuff that we didn't ask for. Like, just give us the stuff we asked for. But the Kelly Greens were near perfection in my opinion i agree could not agree more and i don't even think the newer version of a lot of uniforms is bad but just there's something about the nostalgia like you said and you're probably right if, if everybody switched back to them permanently it'd get old and we'd be asking for the ones people wear now you know hey run you know cycle those in a little bit you know i need to see the the two-tone jaguars helmet you remember that they got rid of that thank god but nobody's uh, asking for that no. trust me oh that was terrible Nobody's going to ask for the Seahawks if they ever go away from this. Probably not much of that is going to. They they might have like the standard Legion of Boom one, but the combinations of stuff, we don't need any of that. It's like Oregon. They've had so many uniforms. I don't even know what the Oregon uniform is. By the way, Oregon looked awesome in their throwbacks this weekend. They did. I like that look, you know, just the, the a lot of the yellow because you don't see the yellow. I don't think you see like that classic yellow in their color scheme much anymore. It's more of a neon yellow that seems to appear in a lot of their uniforms recently. Yeah, I really liked it. But again, it's a streamlined effort. It's not the way that it used to look. So I think when you go back and look at those 80s or 70s film, it looks weird. But on today's players, it actually looks pretty good. Okay, one thing before we get to the end of the show here, I want to talk a little bit of baseball. And it's just a very simple question. Right now, as I said, the NLCS is here. High drama. Diamondbacks are up two. Bottom of the seventh. Phillies have two runners on. They just walked Kyle Schwarber, who could have easily tied the game 
right there. But the Houston Astros just lost the American League Championship Series to the Texas Rangers. So the Texas Rangers are going to the World Series for the first time since 2011. But this is one of those series. It's only the second time ever that not one team won a home game in a series. Both teams lost all of their home games. The only other time that that's happened included the Houston Astros, and it was a 2019 World Series. The Astros were below 500 at home this year. Now, when I was here with Jonesy two weeks ago, I said that I didn't think personally that home field advantage in baseball mattered nearly as much as it does in a sport, say, like football. And he was like, I disagree. And I said, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how, unless you're a team that like your fans are really into it, but as as the game goes, I don't think the players really care about noise. I don't think the players get nervous all that often. It's like when guys take free throws, they don't ever really talk about how they hear the fans, even though the fans are saying a whole bunch of stuff. Is that something you buy into? Because I just don't see it in baseball. I I had this discussion a few weeks ago with my cousin Alex and my uncle Jim, his father, big baseball fans. Because I kind of I was talking about college football and home field advantage and atmospheres and and um, I was like it's a little different than baseball. People don't get as like into it. They made a great point. They said I'm not even. They're like we're not talking about the crowds. Like every football field is the same exact dimensions. Every football field, the rules don't change. The ground rules aren't different. You know, there's different foul territory you know, space from park to park, the wall, little caroms off different angles of the outfield wall that you have to contend with. And I thought those were great points that could play into home field. Now, not in the traditional sense that we think of when it comes to crowd noise, but that, and where else, like, where else does the game change in terms of, like, the rules, in a way, of who gets to bat last, just based off the fact that you're the home team. And football, like, as far as who gets the ball and doesn't, it's a coin flip. So at least it's a 50-50 chance, you know, even odds. And you choose if you want the ball or defer, whatever the case. So I, I thought that was, those were some interesting points that they made that I hadn't even considered um, before that. So if you want to consider those things as part of home field advantage, then I do think it's relevant. I did actually say that. I said that ground rules have a lot more to do with home field advantage than anything else. Because when you play at Fenway Park, it's decidedly different than if you play at Citizens Bank Park, which is a much newer ballpark. Fenway Park has the triangle where it's like 450 feet out of center field. They got the longest right field in the major leagues. Of course, you got the Green Monster, which plays to it too. And I think those things do matter, but I don't think that the crowd, and that's what we were debating is the crowd. Like there are certain crowds in baseball. Like I think about the 2017 Astros, that, that crowd was awesome. The crowd here in Philly is obviously really, really into it. And you certainly have seen crowds throughout the baseball playoffs in history that have been a step above other playoff crowds. But I don't know how much that affects the play on the field. I don't know how much a pitcher really lets that get to them. I don't know if a guy at bat lets it give him the yips. That's that's more what I was speaking to. And I think Alex and his dad, I think, agree with me in that way, where they're saying, no, that's more to do with the physical nature of the ballpark, not the people in it. And that's the point I was making. Yeah, no, and that's a good point. But one thing that's unique too in baseball is I feel like the crowd is loud the whole time in playoff baseball. Yes. You know, it's not that they're loud when, you know, the other team's on offense and not like in football. Um, it's just loud the whole time. So really, if you take the ex expletives that are probably screamed at you by Philly fans um, out of the equation, like the noise is a noise, whether you're home or on the road, it's going to be loud and, and raucous probably no matter what. 
unless it's at the Trop. Yes, exactly, where not that many people go to. So the baseball playoffs are on here, and the World Series, I believe, starts on Friday. And I think we are staring at a matchup with Texas Rangers being in it, exciting team. It was just interesting to watch the Astros lose all of their games at home for a team that was defending World Series champions and to look and see that they were they were under 500 at home. And it's like, well, they didn't want to play at home. That's really strange then. Like, why do you win your division? Why aren't you trying to be a wild card? It's just an odd thing. But, however, we have reached the end almost. But you know what, man? It's time to rev it up. Ah, yes. The sound of crunch time. It means that Coach and I are going to be picking 10 games, going back and forth. Coach, last time we actually had quite a decent week. I went 6-4, and four, you went 5-5, five and five, much better than the week prior. However, you are still sitting a hefty 13 games under 500, but that is okay. Everything can improve. We have another 10 games this week, my man. Are you ready? Ready as always, Iceman. Let's fire it up. All right, we are starting. Number one, Georgia versus Florida in the... I think the biggest cocktail party ever, or whatever it's called, Georgia is a 14 and a half point favorite in Jacksonville. Florida, as we've said, is kind of a little bit of a weird team. Georgia, without Brock Bowers, I still feel like Georgia is going to play well in this game and take care of Vince. So give me Georgia with 14 and a half. I feel like Brock Bowers has bailed the Bulldogs out of a lot of bad situations, and they're not going to have that safety net now. It's a rivalry game. I'm with the Gators, man, plus 14 and a half. All right, this is a game I'm really intrigued by. BYU traveling to Texas, who is going to be playing without Quinn Ewers, I believe. Texas is a 17.5-point favorite against BYU. I feel like this is a little bit of a misleading spread because I think BYU is going to come in here smelling the upset. So you know what? Give me a close game. Give me BYU to be a little bit further closer than 17.5. No, I agree with you here, Iceman. Uh, you know, Texas is going to... They're going to trip up at some point in time against a lesser opponent. I mean, I guess you could say they they had a close call against Wyoming earlier in the season. But with Quinn Ewers out and the Cougars coming to town, I will take BYU plus 17 and a half. Number eight, Oregon traveling to number 13, Utah. Oregon is a seven point favorite heading into this game. They played a little bit of a closer game against Washington State and Utah had that big upset against USC. This is one of those games, though, where I feel like Utah is going to be riding high. Oregon really needs to establish himself again after playing a close game against Wazoo. So give me Oregon to win by more than seven. Guess I'm just on the dogs this week because I like Utah at home. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think they're going to make a ball game of it. I'll take the Utes plus seven. Number 19, Air Force, traveling to Colorado State. Air Force is a 12-point favorite on the road. They just had a really, really tight game with Navy, who slowed the game down, and they're without their quarterback. A 12-point spread for Air Force seems a little bit high. Colorado State is a team that played Colorado very, very close. I think they're going to be up for this game. I think Colorado State is going to make it close, so give me Colorado State here. I'm not too concerned about Air Force uh, based on the result of the Navy game. You know, We kind of speculated it might be that kind of a game. Yes, they're without their starting quarterback, but I still think they're a very good football team, which is why I'm going to lay that 12 points and take the Falcons. 
Our team, Colorado, traveling to number 23, UCLA. UCLA is a 17-point favorite here. Colorado is in need of establishing themselves, and UCLA is trying to get a little bit of momentum back. I feel like Chip Kelly is going to be up to the task here, and even though 17 points is a very, very high spread, I just think that UCLA has a little bit too much offensive potency for the very poorest Colorado defense, so give me UCLA to cover. UCLA has some quarterback issues, right? Uh, They pulled Dante Moore. They got the other dude in there whose name I don't know, don't care. Um, Colorado has got to keep coming out and putting their best foot forward, as cliche as that sounds. They have to come out and try to put good performances together to try to get this thing rolling and build that winning culture. So I'm going to take Colorado plus 17. For the Battle for Virginia, Old Dominion traveling to number 25, James Madison, who, by the way, is not eligible for the postseason. JMU is a 19.5-point favorite at home. I've seen Old Dominion play in person. Their offense was not very good. James Madison is an exciting team that nobody's talking about, so give me the Dukes to cover. It's an absolute travesty that James Madison cannot participate in the postseason at all. I think that's absurd. Um, They have a very good football team. They've had an impressive transition to the FBS level. And I think they keep showing out this week. Give me JMU minus 19 and a half. And this game is for you, Coach. The Streak Breakers, the UMass Minutemen, are traveling to West Point to face Army. This game matters zero in the national spotlight. Army is a nine and a half point favorite at home. I have a little bit of a soft spot for UMass because of the fact that they broke the streak for you. Nine and a half is a lot for Army. Army is going to run the ball a lot. You know what? Give me UMass in an upset. I don't know, man. Going to Army, you know, playing Army at West Point, you know, kind of a unique atmosphere, maybe a little bit of a distraction, getting caught up in the nostalgia of the place. So I'm going to take Army minus nine and a half. Switching to the NFL, the New England Patriots coming off that huge win against the Buffalo Bills are traveling to Miami where the Dolphins are licking their wounds after getting absolutely clawed by the Eagles. The Dolphins are nine and a half point favorites at home. The Patriots, I think, are not as good as that win would indicate the Dolphins are going to beat the crap out of them. So give me the Dolphins minus nine and a half. Oh, this is a tough one because I always like the wounded dog, right? The Dolphins coming off a tough loss, but they're also coming. It's also on a short week a little bit. No, they played Sunday night, not last night. Scratch that. Forget it, man. I'm with Belichick and the boys. Maybe Bailey Zappi will get on the field. Patriots plus nine and a half. And another game that doesn't matter a lick, but is just fun. The battle for the Meadowlands. The Jets at the Giants, technically, although they both play in the same stadium. Zach Wilson looking to get above 500. The Giants have quarterback issues with Daniel Jones being out, but Tyrod Taylor got the win this past week. The Jets, I believe, are three-point favorites on the road. I actually like the Jets here. I think that they're going to be above 500 because the Giants just can't seem to put it together. You know what? I'm gonna give. Uh, I'm gonna throw a little bow and old cleave here, man. I'm gonna take the Jets. Is it minus three, plus three? I don't care. Either way, minus. I'll take a minus three, even if they're plus three. Jets minus three. And last, the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to San Francisco to face the 49ers, who just lost a primetime game against Kirk Cousins of all people. The 49ers are five and a half point favorites at home. Joey Burr needs a win. The 49ers desperately need a win. Brock Purdy has come down to earth. They have some injuries. I feel like the Bengals are going to take this one, so give me the Bengals to steal this game in San Francisco. 49ers are back home, sleeping in their own beds after what I'm guessing was two weeks spent somewhere in the Midwest, which would be difficult on anybody, trust me. Um, So I I don't know, man. They got to get back on track. I'm going to take the Niners and lay the five and a half. All right. Those are all 10 games. We went a little bit different direction here, but this is not an exact science. So we're just picking who we think. And honestly, I'm going with my gut. I'm doing no research on this whatsoever. And that's kind of the whole point. 
is it's fast, it's furious, and it's uninformed. And that's really what we do best around here. Yeah, you like how I literally thought through my whole pick of uh, which one was it? The Patriots Dolphins. Like I hadn't even considered who I was picking until you read it. And I just talked through my entire process right there out loud. So I apologize for that. But no, it was a lot of fun. It's always a blast. It is always a blast. And speaking of stats. Iceman's stat of the week. Every single week that we get together, the coach and I add some personal touches. And as always, Iceman's stat of the week is coming. Coach, I know that you are ready, so I'm not even going to ask you, but these are two baseball stats that I'm going to give you. As I mentioned earlier, the Texas Rangers are heading to the World Series. The Rangers lost 102 games in 2021, and they are now the fifth team all time to reach the World Series within two years of losing 100 games. The other teams to do so, the 1914 Braves, the 1967 Red Sox, the 1969 Mets, and the 2008 Rays. And if the Diamondbacks hold on to this lead, they would be the sixth team. Wow. I mean, that just shows that a lot of people think that the rebuilding process, especially in baseball, if you're not the the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, that it's this long drawn out process where you had to build, you know, through the farm system and everything else. But, you know, it seems like we might have two teams in the World Series this year that have uh, turned it around pretty drastically. Yes, especially in a sport like baseball, where usually if you're bad, you're bad for a while. It takes a little bit of time. Okay, so the Philadelphia Phillies are playing in this now game seven with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Phillies, this is their 14th best of seven series all time. They have never played in a game seven. This is their first. No kidding. Yes. Holy crap. Yes. And there are a few franchises left who have never played a winner take all game seven. The White Sox, believe it or not, because they had that great run to the World Series where they just swept everybody. So they didn't actually have to have a winner take all. The Padres and the Padres don't make the playoffs that often. Same with the Mariners and the Rockies. So I thought that was interesting because the Phillies have had a long enough franchise arc that you'd think that they would have played a game seven somewhere, having been in the playoffs kind of quite a bit. But no, this is their first. And right now they are in dire straits. Wow, that's that's fascinating. You know, I kind of like they were sort of the I mean, I haven't watched a lot of it, but kind of hoping the Phillies would uh would pull through. They were the darling team last year and they looked like they were going to be the team. They were out two games to none in this series and the Diamondbacks took two out of three to get the series to three to two. And then now here we are in game seven. So baseball is one of those sports where even if you come out to a 2-0 lead, Rangers had a 2-0 lead against the Astros. Astros swept them at home. And then the Astros go and blow two in a row. By the way, can you imagine showing up to a baseball game dressed like a f***ing astronaut? (laughs) No, no, I cannot. But I mean, anything's possible these days. Hit the trumpets. They're not live, but they are trumpets regardless. That means it is time for the pick of the week, Coach. Another win for you as Wisconsin, whatever the hell the spread was, they came back and they beat the Illinois Fighting Illini. It looked very dire with about eight minutes to go, but the Badgers pulled it out for you, and you have now won seven in a row and are now nine and 12. And so let's keep the streak going and bless us with another amazing pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye. As always, gambling degenerates. And this week, we get to welcome some haters. 
There were many of you out there who doubted the pick last week of the Wisconsin Badgers. You tried to come at me with reasons like injured quarterback or superior play from the Illini in recent weeks. I say nay. Okay, you must respect the picks. And this week, we're going to dial up another one for you in Big Ten action. The lowly Michigan State Spartans are traveling to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers Saturday afternoon. Minnesota coming off an ugly, hard-fought, controversial victory over the offensive powerhouse known as the Iowa Hawkeyes. They return home. They are 7-point favorites over the Spartans. I feel like the fighting P.J. Flex are going to maybe put some things together here a few weeks in a row. They're going to ride the momentum from the big victory against the Hawkeyes, turn it into two big wins in a row. And for that reason, I'm taking the Gophers minus seven over the Mel Tuckerless Spartans. Oh, man. Michigan State can't catch a break. They're showing Hitler on the Jumbotron at the game last week. Nothing can go right for the Spartans, so I think this is a solid pick, although P.J. Fleck is just an absolute weirdo. So the Minnesota Golden Gophers minus seven over the Michigan State Spartans. Coach, I hope this works out for you. You can get to 10 and 12, double digits on both sides. So let it be written, and as always, so let it be done. And that sound means we have reached the end, my friends. Coach, do you have any parting words for all of our loyal listeners, gamblers, and degenerates? As always, it's a pleasure. I appreciate all of you who have taken the time to interact on social media, uh, even if it's to be critical. I just think it's it's fun. I'm glad you're taking the time to do it. And uh, it takes a lot of courage to be that wrong, that publicly. So credit to you guys for sure. Um, other than that, another great weekend of football on tap for us. We've got that beautiful Chris Foller here in Central Illinois that you heard me talk about all summer when I was looking forward to this. Got the new TV going. Don't have any big plans this weekend. Looking forward to enjoying a lot of football. As am I. And by the way, if you want to be wrong every single week and have some confidence, just watch the show. We do this just about every single week. But before we get you out of here, a little bit of business. Plug the social media. TikTok at INC Sports is the handle. Twitter at Iceman and Coach X, whatever. Facebook, INC Sports is what you'd search. On Twitch, INC Sports, we've been actually doing a few more streams there. We've been replaying some of these episodes, so if you miss it here or you miss College Kickoff Eve, you can find it live over the weekend. We are obviously on YouTube. If you're watching, hit like and subscribe, comment, all that kind of stuff. It really helps us and it makes us feel good. For all of our audio listeners, we love all of you. Apple, Spotify, whatever podcast app that you use, just remember to hit follow. Remember, hit rate where appropriate. Don't forget to support the Matty Ice Media Network, mattyicemedia.com, for some other shows. Every single Friday, some weeks it's a little different, but most Fridays, college kickoff eve, 9 p.m., to get you ready for college football action. Coach, it's always great to see you, always great to talk to you. For everybody else, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network.
INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.